You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The movie is Bound, and it came out in 1996 and was directed by Lana and Lily Wachowski. She's making an offer. It's Caesar's Mafia, huh? I need your help, Corky. Only a fool would refuse. It's over $2 million. Because all money... Oh, my God. Look at this shirt. It's ruined. ...is good money. You're asking me to help you fuck over the mob. I'm going to ask you ten times. I want out. Just admit it. What? You lost it. Where's my money? If their plan succeeds. If they survive. Sweet Jesus. If they can trust each other. I guess it was a job. Maybe the Carpellas. All part of the business. They are bound. I think I'm a dead man. I'm one in the back of the head. For the pleasure. You were nothing before you met me. Violet! You were nothing. You had nothing. For the money. I want what's mine. I want half the money. For each other. Bound. It stars Jennifer Tilly, Gina Gershon, Joe Pantoliano, otherwise known as Joey Pants, John P. Ryan, and Chris Maloney. The genre would be neo-noir thriller. Happy 25th anniversary to what is probably one of the best thrillers of a decade, which had some really good ones. And yes, I can recall other recent reviews for films which also just turned 25, including Swingers and Fargo. What can I say? 96 was just a great year for movies, as it was the height of the indie boom. And Bound was part of that indie crop. It also happens to be a truly impressive directorial debut for the Wachowskis. And yes, it does feature a pretty scorching love scene between Gershon and Tilly. And yes, there's a lot more to the film than just that scene, which makes it so rewatchable. You're no good. Well, well. It's been a long time, Cork. Five years, two months, 16 days. Ooh. How you doing, Sue? Like shit. Well, now that we're all caught up, can I buy you a drink? Thanks. Welcome home. So, did you get the job yet? Yeah. Some plumbing, painting, and shit. I mean, a J-O-B. A real job. Nope. Not for me, Sue. <laughs> I'm just here to get laid. It had been years since I had seen this, and rewatching it recently, I had forgotten how much fun it is for its entire 110-minute runtime. One film that this has to be compared to is, of course, Blood Simple, which I had actually not seen for the first time until last year. And not just the obvious comparison, because both films were the debuts of sibling director duos, as that was the feature debut for the Coen brothers. No, it's more than that, actually. Both films, this and Blood Simple, are relatively straightforward neo-noirs centering around just a few select characters in just a few select locations. Both films are shot very inventively, with camera angles which often highlight the tension, 
And both films involve a series of sticky situations revolving around murder, attempted murder, and or attempts to conceal a murder. The main difference being that Bound also has a love story at its core, between Violet, played by Tilly, and Corky, played by Gershon. And it's a good one. It's not exactly built on trust, nor entirely lust either. It's as much based on opportunity. And it works not only because of how attractive both of our romantic leads are and their chemistry, it works because of how the story keeps testing each of them and in inventive ways. Gershon is amazing in this film. No relation, at least as far as I know. Basically, she's playing the typical gruff everyman, sorry, every woman role. An ex-con drifter who ends up living next door to an alluring femme fatale, also excellently played by Tilly. I'm much trouble, I understand. No, it's no trouble at all. I got a lot of stuff I gotta do. You're doing all the work yourself? Mm. That is so amazing. I am so in awe of people who can fix things. My dad was like that. We never had anything new. Whenever anything was broken, he would just open it up, tinker with it a little bit, and fix it. His hands were magic. I'll bet your car is 20 years old. Truck. Truck. Of course. 63 Chevy. I knew it. Well, I guess it should be going. You can drop the cup off at any time. Both actresses play into the cliches while also subverting them. And there are quite a few points, especially during the third act, when either of these women can just get out of Dodge and just leave the other one to flail. Much of the fun from this film comes from watching both of them consider their options and then improvising. What, are you drunk? You mean they weren't just up here? No, they're still on their way. That doesn't make any sense. Why? Well, I just saw Johnny downstairs. What? Yeah, I was getting out of my car and I saw him in his BMW. Nah, it couldn't have been. It was him, Caesar, I'm positive. Why, that's impossible. Caesar, I know Johnny. It was him. What also helps is that the film also looks gorgeous. And much of the credit needs to go to 1990s DP extraordinaire Bill Pope. He was the cinematographer for many a notable film during that decade including Clueless, The Matrix, Zero Effect, and Darkman. As it turns out, of course, the next film the Wachowskis would direct would be The Matrix, which they did with Bill Pope. And the Wachowskis, who also co-wrote the screenplay, they just direct the hell out of this movie. There are whip pans, zooms, close-ups. They just seem to be having way too much fun as first-time directors, and it really shows. Now, I have barely gotten into the story, but that's okay. It basically revolves around who will get their hands on and who will keep more than $2 million in recently laundered money from the mob boss who Pantoliano's gangster works for. Enough said. Now, along the way, there is some very on-the-nose dialogue attempting to be clever about Corky's sexuality. So there are some flaws to this film. But overall, this is a very tight and entertaining neo-noir. And just to clarify, a neo-noir is a mystery-type thriller basically involving two characters who are attracted to each other, who get involved in some scheme, and the chaos that ensues from that point forward. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm still jazzed about the new Matrix movie coming out, but I would still love to see the Wachowskis go back to smaller-scale movies like this. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Don Davis composes a very effective 
noirish score filled with horns and strings, which helps give every twist and turn some dramatic punch. It's a genuinely effective score, but unfortunately there are no real tracks that stand out. However, spoiler alert, the movie ends on a perfect note, with a quick witty exchange between our two protagonists, a passionate kiss, and a ground-level shot of the front bumper of their bright red Jeep driving off as the credits kick in, and we hear She's a Lady by Tom Jones, the classic 1971 pop song with that groovy beat. It's such a triumphant note to end this movie on that I was actually reminded that this song was used to similar effect by another movie, which would come out four years later, though this time featuring a dance beat behind it. And that movie was Miss Congeniality, starring Sandra Bullock. Spoiler over. And it's also used during a funny scene in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas as well, thus setting a new rule for needle drops. The She's a Lady rule. Only good movies feature She's a Lady from Tom Jones. More rules to follow in future reviews. But in the meantime, let's hear some crooning from Sir Thomas John Woodward. Well, she's all you'd ever want. She's the kind I'd like to flaunt and take to dinner. But she always knows her place. She's got style, she's got grace. She's a winner. She's a lady. Oh, 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 she's a lady. Talking about that little lady. And the lady is mine. And that brings me to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, I'm going to go on a somewhat unique route with this category. This was a low-budget film, basically filmed in just three locations. There's no living, breathing human being that was wasted during its production. However, with regards to costumes and or makeup, I have a small gripe. In this particular instance, my observation would be that there were two wasted hair pieces. I have made no bones about my enduring love for Joey Pants, to the point where my wife-slash-producer is kind of sick of hearing that name pop up in every other review. But it's glorious to see him, regardless, kill it with such a meaty role this time around. But by 96, he'd already been going bald for more than 10 years. We saw him bald in many a large film up until this point, including Running Scare, The Fugitive, Midnight Run. And we saw him with just a little bit of spiked hair the year before in the first Bad Boys movie, which is honestly one of the few subtle parts of that film. So why, as Caesar, Violet's mobster boyfriend in this movie, is this character saddled with this blonde, foppy do, which seems more suited to some mop-topped British invasion rocker from the 60s? Pantoliano looks like he should be playing bass for the monkeys, not some tough guy gangster from Chicago. For the most part, you can kind of look past the hair, but it is distracting, especially during a critical scene late in the movie. And I'll just leave it at that. And no, he's not the only one with distracting hair. Chris Maloney plays Johnny Marzoni the hothead son of the local Chicago crime boss who has a fierce rivalry with Pantoliano Caesar. Now, I have always known Maloney as a short-haired, buzz-cut journeyman actor, and I remember seeing him play the high-spirited football coach in Runaway Bride a couple years later, who, spoiler alert, Julia Roberts jilts for Richard Gere. I know, shocker. But he makes it work. He makes the hair work. He's tall and brawny with piercing blue eyes. He's a good-looking guy. And right around this same time, he would also pull off this short-haired look for the next couple of decades as one of the stars of Law & Order SVU. But the moosed-up, dyed, black, long locks that he is sporting for this role, it's just jarring and laughingly distracting at times. It makes his character seem more cartoonish. Now, maybe that was the intention, but still, as effective as this movie is for the most part, it can be pretty comical watching these two face off 
just because of these wigs that they're wearing. As I have said before, movies are still a visual medium, and hair does matter. That brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. On his TV program, Siskel and Ebert, the late, great Roger Ebert said it best when he described much of the last 45 minutes of Bound as highly entertaining, quote, blood-soaked slapstick. And that kind of nails it. There's a Mexican standoff. There's listening through walls, switched suitcases, piercing gunshots, secret phone calls, corpses hidden in showers, breakneck races between characters on stairs and elevators. You name it. And it's all coordinated beautifully with perfect timing to keep things tense and even at times amusing. One pivot point for all of this insanity is a handoff scene between Caesar and Johnny with Johnny's father and Violet looking on. Now keep in mind that neither Corky nor Violet are active participants in this particular scene, but they have orchestrated everything to get to this point. I don't want to give away too much, but let's just say that things go awry, leading to more insanity. And that's your trailer moment. You lost it. Not me. It was your mistake. You want to play it this way? I can play it this way. You want to know who made a mistake? Open the case. Open the case. Violet, get me another drink. And that brings me to the final category, and that would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. You know, I'm tempted to say that they don't make movies like this anymore. Tightly wound, neo-noir, pseudo-erotic thrillers, because Hollywood generally doesn't. At least not at the sheer volume that we would see these sorts of films in the 90s. But here's the thing which must be acknowledged. They really weren't making films like this before 96 either. This was a trailblazing movie in a lot of ways in that it was basically a pure genre film with a wide release featuring two lesbian protagonists. Not villains, mind you, as Hollywood had already given us plenty of those by this point. And major props to the Wachowskis for pulling this off as their first film and sticking to their guns, no less. In interviews since then, both siblings, both of the Wachowskis, have revealed that when pitching this script to studios, they were repeatedly told that they would get significantly more financing to make a bigger film if they made one of the main protagonists a man, mainly Gershon's Corky. But the thinking from the Wachowskis was, well, well, we've already seen that movie dozens of times. They were going for something different, subverting a time-tested sort of narrative, and they succeeded, even with a pretty small budget of around $1.5 million. This was, of course, just three years before they would take the world by storm, also writing and directing The Matrix, and with a budget of about 50 times that, no less. But I don't have to tell you how well that turned out. The Wachowski sisters are your co-MVPs. You know what the difference is between you and me, Violet? No. Me neither. My rating for Bound would be four and a half stars out of five. This is just a fun, engaging thriller with a clever series of twists and turns. I am so glad that I had the opportunity to recently revisit it, and I would encourage you to do so as well, or more likely catch it for the first time. If you're looking for Bound, it's currently streaming on Hulu and Paramount+. And that ends another noirish review. 
please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.